Hello and welcome to the Mindset and Self Mastery Show. I'm your host, Nick McGowan, and on this show, my guests and I unpack the stories that shape us and the lives that we lead on our path to self mastery. So let's not wait any longer. Let the games begin. Hey, Casey, welcome to the show, man. How are you doing? Hey, Nick, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me today. Absolutely. I'm excited that you're here. We were talking about how we had connected and we connected through a couple of different mediums, uh, LinkedIn and, and SalesCast, and we were just kind of loving on the SalesCast people. So I know this isn't part of my ad part of the uh, of the podcast and the show, but we both kind of love on SalesCast. So salescast.co. That's free for you, Chris. Uh, man, I appreciate you being on the show, Casey, and uh, want to jump in as quickly as we can with this because I feel like you and I are going to have a lot of stuff that we get into. So why don't you tell us what do you do for a living and what's that one thing that most people don't know about you that's maybe odd or bizarre? Okay, so uh, what I do is I'm an online marketer and trader and I've been debating about what's odd or bizarre about me, and I would guess the biggest odd thing is that I have nine kids. Yeah, yeah, I guess that would be a bit different than most people. Uh, are they all close to age, yeah, to the same age? Is it like Irish twins, like a whole bunch of them, or what? Uh, two twins, or actually one twin, but that's two. <laughs> so twins, and then, um, then I adopted two girls, so that added to it and uh you know that was not really planned it just kind of happened and so then uh their ages are separated from 23 to 8. wow jeez and they all live under the same roof and how big is that roof yeah they're still they're still home they're still home we got a really big house we live way out in the country it's an old farmhouse nice yeah that, i wouldn't really think you'd be able to live in like the middle of the city in a condo in like a 600 square foot condo or something you know yeah we got we got a lot of room and the kids can go out and play and you know get in the woods and do that kind of fun stuff man that's cool so is that how you grew up did you grow up kind of on a farm or a rural area uh yeah actually i i was pretty rural um actually my high school graduating class only had 12 students and uh, some of this it, we were so remote that the students were actually in different time zones from the school some of them how does how does that work uh well uh it's on the border of eastern oregon uh eastern oregon and idaho and so um you know there's that's where the time zone the times the timelines over there and so uh, from Eastern to, or from Pacific to mountain. And uh, yeah, we had 12 people on our football team or eight, it was eight man football, 12 total. And uh, sometimes we'd have to drive like two hours, three hours just to go get some groceries really far away out there. Yeah. And there are still people I know that do that uh, or that grow up differently from that and then gravitate to that as they get a little older. But it's always interesting to me how some people kind of stick with the things that um, that they grew up with. And they're like, I want more of this. And you kind of grew up in that area. And then you have nine kids now in this whole big house. It's kind of, uh, it sounds like something that you kind of grew up with that you were used to. But how did you get into um, 
into what you're doing. Like, uh, honestly, from hearing trading and a lot of people, I think we should break down what that actually means because that can mean different things to different people. And most of it's kind of probably crap what they think about. Like, it's just some false narrative they have with it. Um, but how would you get into trading from being in a very super raw area and what most people would think of would just be kind of farmland and just doing kind of the heavy lifting work? So the way that I was out in that rural area is that my dad was a diesel mechanic and he worked in a gold mine that was out in the middle of nowhere out in the mountains. And so uh, he was working on the big trucks that would haul out the dirt and big dump trucks and stuff like that. So he was a stock guy as well. He would buy stocks and I was into computers and uh, he didn't know anything about computers because that was early 90s when the stocks first started to get online. And then... Um, He's like, hey, I need to figure out how to set up this computer. I don't know what I'm doing. So I helped him set up the computer. And then I was like, wow, stocks, these are really cool. Um, you can actually make money at this. So I got really excited about that as a young, like 16-year-old. Like, wow, this is really cool. And so to, to define trading for you, trading is basically uh, just buying and selling stocks. <clears throat> so uh, when I think of a day trader, um, I think of somebody that's got 15 different screens in front of them and looking at all things with all these different red and green lines and all the stuff they need to go through. That seems like that would be pretty crazy just from managing your mindset through all of that, let alone the rest of life. But even just the look you give when, when I say that doesn't sound like that's actual reality. So yeah, 15 monitors is not, I only am looking at six right now as I talk to you and I've got your face on all six monitors. So if you see me going all over the place, it's cause I, <laughs> but you know, it, the, the it is kind of stressful, but it, I don't, I do have six monitors, but that's not a big deal. What is really the challenge and it's not stressful if you manage your mindset, but the big challenge is self mastery, right? Cause trading is really quite simple. The hard part is self-mastery. What do you mean by that? Uh, so when you're trading, you have to have a risk management plan. And when you're trading, uh, it's really important that you learn the foundational skills that are necessary to be successful. And so I would say a good percentage of the people that start, especially with this new COVID thing, when everybody was trying to make money in the markets after they got were working from home, uh, they try to get into the market to get a lot of money fast and they're trying to, it's basically like a casino. They think they can come in, throw some money down and walk out with a big check. It's like going to the, you know, we just had the billion dollar lottery. You can't, you know, everybody's throwing down money trying to get the billion dollars. Uh, but the, re the reality is you can't really solve a financial problem unless you solve the financial problem. And usually that financial problem is looking at yourself in the mirror because you don't know how to financially, you don't have self-mastery, you don't know how to manage money. And so if you can't solve that problem, trading's not going to help you. Going to a casino is not going to help you and winning the lottery is not going to help you. Yeah, it's funny how many, uh, how many stories there are with people that win the lottery and then they're completely bankrupt within a couple of years because you didn't fix the problem. You didn't help them learn how to use their money. You just gave them a whole buttload of it. And you're like, here you go. Buy whatever random things you want. Have at it. Oh, you're, you don't have any more. It's been 24 months. What happened? Well, the secret is, number one, just don't tell your family and friends. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I've seen people show up and get the pictures with like the giant check and like a scream mask or something. We're like, no one knows who I am.
So what? So what is your thoughts on the lottery with the big billion dollar payout? Are, are you like getting into, involved with that? Meh, not really. Honestly, I'm one of those people where like uh, if I hear of Powerball or something crazy and I'm at the grocery store and it comes to mind while I'm like near the machine and I actually have cash on me, then yeah, I'll go do it. But for the most point, like I, I don't really care. I don't think like, oh my God, that would be crazy if I want all that money. Now, it's interesting to like dream about that. What if and what would you do? Because I think every single person has thought that as soon as you learn, like there's an opportunity, you can make millions or billions or even like 150 bucks. You're like, huh, what would I do with that? How would I go about using it? Blah, blah, blah. But it's not like I I look at that and bank on it. I'm glad that you bring this up because I was actually at a uh, I was at some rest, not a restaurant, um, like this little shop that was attached to a restaurant. And this guy was buying some um, basically like 20 or 30 dollar. Uh, lottery tickets like the higher dollar lottery tickets not your dollar scratch off sort of deal and he was super picky about the one that he wanted he wanted this one that he kept just saying 40 like the 40th one like that one and as soon as he got it he he just shook and was excited like he got this golden ticket from Willy Wonka I was like man you didn't even do anything yet all you did was you paid for it like you have no idea what's on it you know like he could have been walked out and he's like "Ah, I made three dollars I got super excited, but he was all excited. And it was like the thrill of that potential to be able to get all of that money. And I could see in this guy's eyes that he was just in it for that thrill. So if that guy would have won that money, I, I don't know what what he would have done. You know, it's almost like you, you can't really tell what somebody's going to do in that situation until something actually happens. Like how people are like, oh, if somebody had a gun to my head, oh, I would punch him in the face. I would do this. I would do that. It's like. Meanwhile, somebody has a gun to their head, they're in the corner, their pants are soaked, and they are just crying like a little baby, you know, but, you know, they, they acted tough in theory, but uh, you don't really know until that stuff happens. Now, have you ever, uh, have you ever played and won anything substantial? Uh, you know, I'm not really into it, I actually never do it, but I just couldn't help but laughing because I'm the guy... You were describing me because I'm the guy in my head that has all these scenarios like if something happens, I'm going to be like a hero because I used to work at a gas station, you know, and I uh, as the teller, you know, the guy who and those guys get robbed a lot. So I was like, I had my plan. It was pretty funny. But uh, who knows what I would actually do. But I do think that if you plan in advance, it helps because I've been in a lot of situations where knowing what to do in advance has helped me. Uh, And I think you uh, you nailed it when you said. Uh, you know, what would you do with the money, right? You could have asked that guy, like, hey, man, what are you going to do if you're going to win? And I even think about it, like, what would I do, right? Because I, you know, I have tried to have plans for all my money. And if I was going to win, I would really want to plan even beforehand. Yeah, yeah, big time. Well, that's a, that's a step that uh, I think a lot of people want to do. But then when they think about doing even like a simple home budget, they're like, you know, it's kind of a pain. I got to jump into this thing. Now, granted, there are the people and some of them listen to this show where they're like, are you kidding me? I love that. I live for this. Like finances or numbers, that is their jam. And then there are a lot of people where they just don't because I think it brings up for them uh, things that they have to stop doing where they're like, oh, I have to stop buying this. I have to stop going to get this or that. And to to go back to what we were kind of talking about a little bit before, it's not as much about being restrictive on that sort of stuff as it is just understanding the core base of it and fixing your own problems with it. 
So how do you how do you go about helping people with that that are struggling and say, hey, I want to make more money. I want to get into trading. I want to do things. But you know that clearly there's some, let's say, mental problems or, you know, some bad patterns that they have in their life where they're going to they're just going to botch it if they get in. Well, I think you made a great point when you said that it not so much as restricting don't look at it as restricting and say, I can't have this. Think about what it is that you're trying to accomplish, right? I think that vision is the number one thing because if you don't have a vision for your life, then you don't really have uh, anything, a reason to save, right? So I'm not going to spend on this so that I can later on spend on this other thing that is going to be much greater than the thing that I'm putting aside right now. And I putting it aside for now, later on, if I want to get it, since I'm accomplishing my goals, I can have as much as that as I possibly want. Like here, here's a great example. And I'm not really answering your question, but I'll just tell you when I was young, a young man, I joined the army and I was making 800 bucks a month. Right. And, uh, that's not a lot of money, but when I left four years later, I had $30,000 in stocks trading just because I was, I had a vision for doing something with my life and everybody else around me, they were all living paycheck to paycheck. We all made the same money, but they were broke and I was rich. What's the difference? Mm -hmm. Man. Yeah. It's gotta, it's tough. If you're in a situation where you have to live paycheck to paycheck because some crazy thing happened and you need to spend a lot of money, like if something uh, breaks in your house and you have to replace the entire AC and there goes 15K just out of a savings account, that can be really, really tough for most people. But that's a that's a rarity, right? It's not like something that happens all the time. In fact, ACs specifically are supposed to last you basically 15, 20 years or whatever it is. Uh, but prepping for that, without driving yourself crazy and being kind of a doomsday financial prepper, how do you suggest that somebody go about doing that on a tactical level that, that they can actually start using? Well, a, a great tactical level is to plan for it, right? So if you own a house, you have a 10% maintenance uh, offset. So in my budget, I automatically have maintenance, right? So it's not being, it's kind of weird because it's not being touched. And so a lot of people will, the reason they live paycheck to paycheck is they look at their bank account and they're like, okay, I got a thousand bucks, right? I'm going to go spend that. But if you say, oh, 10%, 10%, that's, that's maintenance money. So every time 10% goes off for maintenance or whatever the percentage is. So just planning for that. And the more that you spend on it, the better you you get it learning to budget and plan your expenses. Yeah. Now, how did you tie that into how you uh, go about trading and looking at what to trade? Uh, so with trading, uh, it's very similar because I have, um, I have a, a risk tolerance for trade. So if I, if I'm going to buy, uh, uh, Amazon, I'll buy a bunch of shares of Amazon and I'm like, okay, I'm going to put in, uh, in an area that if this trade goes against me, I'm getting out. So I'm going to say, okay, if, it, if, if I get in and I'm losing $500, I'm just going to close the trade. And then. Uh, that's a $500 loss, but I'm saving the bulk of my money to enter in at a better time. 
And so then the next time, if I lose 500, the next time I'll get in, I might make a thousand or $5,000 even. So taking a $500 loss is not a big deal when you could later on make $5,000. And so it's a probabilities. It's, you know, there's no way to be a great trader or you can pick really good trades. I'm not saying that's not possible. Yes, you can do that, but there's no way to be a hundred percent, right? You have to understand how risk management works in trading. Yeah. Now, how do you tie that to kind of daily life uh, to be able to manage not only your mindset, but the risk that you take? Because you also <laughs> stated you have nine kids. And if everything went down with all of your trades and you lost all of your money, I feel like you would still be all right. Like you seem like that type of guy that you'd figure it out. Obviously, that would suck and it would be terrible, but you'd figure it out. And the fact that you said you've planned... I'm sure you've thought of that. So what happened? What would happen if that were to happen? Well, so that's a great question. First of all, it's not going to happen because I just stop. If I have a bad day, I just stop, right? Because I come back, I refresh and reset. And I'll, I can tell you my process and my mindset stuff but uh, in, in a bit. But to answer your question, yeah, I would be okay because of planning. And then I also have multiple streams of revenue because I'm a, a marketer. I have a website. I make money from my website. I, uh, I, part of the marketing budget that I use is I sell, sell traffic, right? So I, I'm a traffic guy. I sell traffic. So I generate leads and I sell traffic. I have an online course that I sell. So I have multiple streams of revenue and then trading is one of those streams. Gotcha. My podcast, I have a podcast that's monetized. <laughs> yeah. I, I love that. And especially as you and I both know, podcasting is huge, especially for lead generation and brand awareness and scratches so many of those things, but then also opens you up to new conversations to be able to get into stuff with people that could either become a new client or something that you learn and you're able to toss in your, into your work. So most of the people that listen to the show, I don't think I have a high percentage of traders as full-time uh, but I, I'm not entirely sure. There may be a lot more than what I, what I think about, but I think at the core principles that you use in your trading and how you manage your mindset, it, walk us through that. What does that look like? What are some of the protocols that you go through? Okay, so I really believe that as human beings, especially high performance, right? So I look at myself as a high performance person like an athlete. If you're a business person, you want to be high performance. If you're a trader, you want to be high performance. If you're an athlete, you want to be high performance. I think if you're a human being, you want to be high performance. That's just my mindset. Okay, so I have a daily routine. And part of being higher performance is to give myself space. Space to think. Because my, because my mind is the biggest supercomputer that I have. And so I don't want to be sitting here glued to my phone in the mornings. I just, I, I don't do it. I discipline myself. Not, I don't get on my phone. I don't go through social media. What I do is I sit back, I chill, and I get my notebook, right? And I start writing and I start reading. And I have a step-by-step -step daily process that I do. And so it, it's a daily routine that includes reading, it includes prayer, it includes exercise, journaling, daily planning, nutrition, hydration, right? And that's the very first thing. I do all of that every single day before I even sit down at a computer. I love that. It's funny, as you read that off, I can, I can think from somebody else's perspective of, oh my God, that is a ton of stuff that needs to be done. 
But in all reality, that could be done in 15 minutes. Like if you really needed to do it in a pinch, you could do it in 15 minutes and you can stretch it out to however long you want. How long is your typical morning routine? Uh, so for me, it's a, I like it to be about an hour and a half, but like you said, it is very, it can be fast if I need to, because part of my journaling is I have a, a systematic formula for it. So like, okay, trading, what am I going to risk today? What's my mindset for the day? I ask my self questions. Okay. What's my emotions? Uh, you know, how do I feel? Cause emotions can self-sabotage. Am I experiencing any, how, how am I not going to self-sabotage myself? Am I experiencing any negative emotions? Did I get enough sleep? You know, so I'm answering myself these specific questions. Then I like to go through um, uh, belief, right? Like faith. Uh, I believe that I'm going to do well. I believe that I'm going to uh, follow the rules. I believe that if I follow the system that it's going to work. Because uh, if you're going to do something, you got to believe that it's going to work, right? Yeah. Or don't do it. <laughs> Come on now. How do, so I know uh, we haven't really touched on the faith part, but even in your bio, it says that you're a leader in a local church. Uh, you've touched on the faith a bit, and I, I'm similar faith as well. But how does that tie into what you do? Because when I, I think of there are times where people, especially on the Christian side of things, that are like, you know, money is the root of all evil. And that is complete horseshit because it's not. It's a it's a route to something. Totally. It's, it's, so, 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 so there's a verse in the Bible that says the, that the love of money is the root of all evil. Or it actually doesn't even say that, of all kinds of evil. And so it's not money, it's the love. And what that means is that if you care more about money than you do about people in your life, then that's pretty rotten, right? And it doesn't matter what religion you are, you can pretty much agree with that, right? So you you got to take it in context. And, if, and there are some believers, you know, so quote unquote good people that think like that. And that's just wrong thinking. Uh, money is a tool, right? So money is totally neutral. And what you do with it, your actions of what you do with money is good or evil. But money itself is totally neutral. Yeah, and I love that you pointed out the all kinds of evil. Because it's not even saying just all evil, totally everything evil is just related directly to money or the love thereof. Uh, but it's all kinds of things. And even the fact to talk about context you and I are talking about the context from what that was written in, but maybe not the direct context to the actual time that it was written in and what that meant to those people, which is vastly, could be vastly different than what we think of now. Uh, I read a book years ago, I think it was called Jesus in Blue Jeans. And in the beginning of the book, the lady was talking about how she had a dream and some guys walking up in jeans and then she realized it was jesus and she was like what are you doing like why are you wearing jeans and you in my dream and he's like well i come to you in jeans because that's what you wear i wore sandals and robes and things because that's what they wore so here we are but the context so can be funny. yeah the context can be king there you know you got to be able to kind of tie that in so how do you look at the trades and all you do with your faith along with that is that more principle based or is it very legalistic in a sense 
so I'm I'm principle based. You know, I think that uh, trading is very principled, and uh, business wise, I'm principled. I think principles are really important, um, and in running a business, you got to find really key principles. Uh, there's just a lot of craziness that happens in the world. You know, I don't know if you follow what's going on in crypto, uh, but FTX, a big a big firm went on, out of business, right? And that's all principal stuff. The guy who owned it, very young guy, very inexperienced. And, uh, you know, I feel for him. He made a ton of mistakes and everyone wants to kill him. And, you know, he did it, but he didn't know what he was doing, really. I think it was just inexperience and not having enough education on how to manage a balance sheet. Really, it was just a balance sheet thing. He just didn't have any idea how much money he was out of sorts. Yeah, and that was... That's insane with all of that. Um, so let's touch on that a bit because I know some of the audience is either deep into crypto and they're feeling that pain and kind of going along the bobs and ups and downs of that water. Uh, but how do you feel about that and how does that relate to what you do? Uh, so I still am a big supporter of Bitcoin and other so a couple other cryptos, but mainly Bitcoin because the, the idea is so cool because it's, the problem with FTX is that it was operating like a bank, right? The reason that they went out of business is because they took customer funds and they were using those funds to make money. And what does a bank do? <laughs> a bank uses customer funds. Uh, your bank, Nick, only has a very tiny, tiny percentage of your money, right? So if it's like 1% or something, you know, it's very small, right? So if everybody makes it just like in the Great Depression, if everybody makes a bank run, boom, they're gone, right? And that's what happened with FTX is because the competitor, the owner of Binance, their number one com competitor says, we're selling all of our FTX token. We don't trust them. And so then everybody else did what Binance did and everybody made a bank run at the same time and it crashed them, right? So it was partially uh, a competitive maneuver by the founder of Binance. Uh, and so this could happen to your bank. It could happen anywhere. But the key thing about crypto is that you're supposed to have protection because you're supposed to be holding your crypto in your own wallet and your own code offline, right? Then you're not, tr the whole idea of crypto, the whole reason it was created was because you don't have to trust a bank, right? And now all of a sudden they're like, oh, well here, let's make a crypto bank and we're going to trust these crypto banks to hold our money. Well, you just run into, run into the exact same problem with the original bank. I was just listening to a, a Michael Saylor, who's a really big Bitcoin enthusiast. He's a billionaire. And he said, look, you can't trust somebody with that kind of power, right? When you've got one person who's controlling billions and billions and billions of dollars, it's so much pressure on an individual. Just take responsibility and put it in your own hand and store your Bitcoin in your wallet. Yeah. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. Um, that's crazy. I think of... Uh... The, com the competitive maneuver keeps coming to mind because that is a solid play for Binance to go, we're pushing this button and everybody else is going to flush the system. He knew that he had, the, he had a weak hand. Oh, what a, what a play. Like on one hand, I'm, I love the, the sales play of that, like the business kind of play of it, but it also ties into the, the mindset of how these people work. You know, when somebody is in that spot, somebody else can come along and just literally take their lunch from them by hitting one button and knowing which button to push. That's the biggest thing. And I think there's a lot of people that 
They have no idea what button to push. They have no idea how to do it. And they would be scared shitless to actually hit the button in themselves. So if we just separate from business, it's just the stuff within yourself. So tying back to the finances, I think there are a lot of people that can live paycheck to paycheck. And we've all experienced that at one point or another. Hopefully it's not a consistent, you know, consistent problem. But you experience that and you do things to be able to get out of it. So let's say somebody's in that spot right now where they're like, look, I'm living paycheck to paycheck. I want to be able to get out of this. What sort of tactical advice would you give them to be able to do that? <laughs> well, that's a great question, Nick. And uh, I almost want to turn one, one question around to you. So I might counter this answer with a question um, just because I'm curious. Um, I recommend from what my friend Blake told me, who was a guest on my show, he's a really successful currency trader. And he says, hey, when you're digging a hole, the first thing you need to do is drop the shovel, right? <laughs> so if you're living paycheck to paycheck, there's a reason and it's usually because you're digging a hole, right? So just drop the shovel. And in this case, it means stop spending. Immediately, immediately go to your budget and find out all the excess and you know, spend some time, go over it with a fine tooth comb and cut, cut, cut. Look, I have been there in business. I've been there. I've over, I've made so many mistakes in business. I've over leveraged. I've poured on the gas too high. I've gotten into debt because I'm trying to grow so fast. And the next thing you know, I'm in a huge hole because I'm thinking I'm the best business guy ever. I get it. Um, but at the end of the day, the way that I survived was I just started cutting. And sometimes that means in business, it means you've got to let people go. And that sucks. Like, that's not fun. I hated doing that. And I still hate doing it. And I still have to do it sometimes. But um, so that's what I would do. Just really stop spinning. And then once you get leveled out, you come up with a plan, right? Uh, so the question I wanted to ask you is if you ever saw the movie The Founder, because there, there was a really good play on that as well, because the owner of... It was the owner of McDonald's and he stole the business from the McDonald's brothers and he was really brutal. Oh yeah. Yeah. I've, uh, I've not seen the founder, but I've read about that story and basically how he was like, you guys don't want this anymore. I know it. It's trash, right? Total trash. Yeah. We're just going to do away with it. Just give it, give it to me. Like we're totally good. And that's such a wild thing where, um, yeah, all of that. Like, so even when you're talking about the Binance guy, that will be a thing that comes up in 10, 15, 20 years where people will look at that and, you know, peel it apart a bit. People are starting to do it now. They might make a movie someday. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. Actually, on that note, and the way things move, this might be a movie that comes out in 2025. Like, they're already working on it. Nick, you need to start writing the script now. Start writing the script. All right. That's it. The podcast episode is over. I got a script to write. All right. Yeah. That's interesting. But yeah, so good points about being able to cut stuff out. And I think even for the people that don't live paycheck to paycheck, the people that are mega rich, all that, they still have to look for things because you can hemorrhage a little bit at a time and that turns into bigger things. I've had something even <laughs> even over this summer where, you know, I budget out and I do all my stuff and I've got different accounts and all the things, you know, and like I'm all squared away. And at one point, I had a month where I just had like an extra couple grand that I was spending. And I was like, where the how the hell did I spend? What did I spend that on? And I've a couple hobbies. So I was like, oh, I realized what I was doing where I would get up on a Saturday morning, go get coffee and be out for a couple hours and spend some money on the hobbies. And 
I was like, I can make a change with that by just not going out to get coffee one day a week. And even if I do, I cannot go to a certain amount of stores or one store or whatever one day a week and being able to kind of change that a little bit. So again, back to the restrictive thing, it's not as much of a restriction as it is to go, all right, well, how do I do this differently? And how do you still get that pleasure out of it or whatever you're trying to get out of it? So, man, I appreciate you being on. I appreciate you jumping through all this stuff and everything we've talked about. What, um, what sort of advice would you give to somebody that's on their path towards self-mastery? Uh, so the big thing with, with uh, self-mastery is understanding that it's a, it's a process, right? So it's a process, and I really believe that it starts with vision. I did mention that. Get a vision. You know, figure out what you want to do with your life. And, uh, you know, I, I read a lot of books about it. I read one called Living Forward by Michael Hyatt. Uh, I read another one called Vision, Vivid Vision by Cameron Harold, and I've used those to help me plan my vision. Um, and the other thing is that your mind is a real powerful tool, self-mastery. Discipline's hard, but you can train your mind if you work at it, right? And a, another book that I was just reading was called Cleaning Up Your Mental Mess uh, with Dr. Carolyn Leaf. And she has a process that she calls a neurocycle, right? And it's, uh, it's finding a, a habit that you want to change and it's just a it's a synopsis right it goes from one side of the brain to the other and it's an addictive thing that you just got to build new brain wires you literally have to rewire your brain it's like getting inside of a computer and moving wires around and change it and you are in control of the computer you can make excuses and say my computer's messed up and I can't do this I keep, I'm I'm a jerk I messed up my brain I'm triggered or whatever or you can rewire it you know people are triggered but you can rewire your brain. And so here's this, it's a five-step process. Number process. Number one is, she says, to use awareness, right? So you just think about it. Then number two is reflection, right? Then so you're aware of the problem, aware of the thing you want to change. Then number two is you reflect on it. Um, and then the third part is to journal, right? You write, okay, this is it, do-do-do. Again, that's the process of using your mind uh, and letting your mind work and putting hand to paper. It's a mental process. And then the fourth uh, step in the neurocycle is uh, to reassess, to think about it again. <laughs> and then the last step is an action, right? So when you, if you're trying to change something, a discipline, okay, I have this negative thought about, I want to change not spending that $5 at Starbucks, right? Okay. Awareness. What do I? What thought process goes in my mind when I want a coffee? Okay. Now I'm aware of it. Okay. And then you you journal it out, and then you say, okay, next time that thought comes into my hand, plan, uh, mind, what's my action step? How am I going to fix it? Right. So then you write your action step, and then you just do that every day until you change your habit. And she said, and this is a little bit overwhelming, but it doesn't have to take long. She said it's 63 days to change, to rewire, completely rewire your brain. Uh, and so, so that's what I do. I do that. And, um, you know, then I just work on one thing at a time. And there's a couple other resources I've mentioned a lot. I also, um, Atomic Habits by James Clear, you know, that's another really good one to use. And then um, John Asaroff, I didn't read a book of his, but I follow him on Twitter and he's a, a brain expert too. Um, he says that your brain prioritizes the things that you think about, 
right? So again, that's going back and thinking and you, letting your brain do the work for you and it'll pri to prioritize it, but you have to take attention. We have social media, we have a lot of things we're not focusing, uh, but if we put our attention on things, that allows your brain to do what it's created to do. Absolutely. That's a great way to end this, man. Again, I appreciate your time. I appreciate being on. Uh, before we let you go, where can everybody find you? And where can they connect with you? Uh, so uh, my website is tradingstrategyguides.com. And I have a, a gift for people that were listening. If they're interested in learning about trading, uh, it's tradingstrategyguides.com forward slash podcast. I have like a, a free guide that they can get on teaching them how to trade. And if they go there too, they can connect with me on Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn because, you know, that's where we connected. I'm very pretty active on, on social. So if you want to ask me a question or connect with me on there, I'm, I'm very uh, connectable. Absolutely. I can attest to that, especially on LinkedIn. I know we've gotten in some good conversations through some good chats and all that on different people's uh, posts and even some of our own. Again, Casey, it's been absolutely awesome to have you on the show, man. I appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Thanks, Nick. Another great conversation on today's episode of the Mindset and Self Mastery Show. So what did you think of the show today? I'd love to hear your thoughts check out the Instagram or Facebook page to join the conversation. If you enjoyed the episode, please jump over to iTunes and subscribe, rate, and leave a five-star review. It helps us be found and helps others be healed. If this episode opened your eyes, made you think, or smile at all, then I'm sure it'll do the same for your friends. And check out the show notes for more info from today's episode and check out other episodes on themindsetandselfmasteryshow.com as well as our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and look up The Mindset and Self Mastery Show. And thanks again to our incredible guests for being real, honest, and vulnerable with us today. And I'd like to thank our sponsors. And most importantly, I'd like to thank you. Thank you for hanging out with us today. Your support means the world to us. And with that, remember, your mindset matters. And so do you.